Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. For you guys who weren't here last week, I want to say we're, we're in the middle of a four-part series talking about the roles of men and women, what this looks like. Um, and this really, this series is in response to just something that's been going on in our culture, honestly, though, for over a decade. I think in some ways it's just gotten bigger and more easy for us to see. And it seems like it's a crisis surrounding genders and new genders and labels and I don't know, but, but honestly, what Pastor Jeff did a great job of last week, so you need to go back and watch that one or listen to it if you missed it, but he did a great job of explaining gender is really just the symptom and at its core, it's an old struggle of identity, of just who are we meant to be? And I will say he noted that the current cultural that we live in, specifically in America in the 21st century, is really opposed to nuance in this area, right? Um, this current culture that we live in, they will force you into a new box if you don't fit their old rigid gender stereotypes, right? And then claim that you're now liberated in your new box to discover your authentic self, now, even if you don't have any questions surrounding identity and all this kind of stuff, there seems to be this movement of, well, you need to be asking questions. You need to be going on this journey of doing this work. Otherwise, you're not going to be living out your authentic identity and your authentic self. Um, so that's kind of the cultural climate that we're in a little bit. I'm not gonna do a lot of justice talking about it today. Again, go back and listen to Jeff's message last week. But... What he did a great job of setting up for us too is he also unpacked a little bit about how do we understand biblical masculinity? So what is it as opposed to you know, what we see sometimes in the culture around us? And the truth of biblical masculinity as we put it last week is this. God's design for biblical masculinity is for a man to sacrificially lead, provide for, and protect. Now again, we, we didn't couch that in terms of just marriage or like just in a relationship. This is true of men at their core. Now, this week we get to tackle biblical femininity or womanhood. Um, and so again, part of me is I don't know what it says about me that I actually kind of chose this one, except also that I like listening to Enya and watching The Princess Diaries and I enjoy giving my two-year-old daughter a manicure. But... I also love watching Braveheart, heavy metal music, and I enjoy shooting guns. So nuance, right? There's your nuance that we talked about. Uh, but I will also say, in preparing for this message, I actually reached out to a handful of Sand Hills women from some different stages of life, some different backgrounds and experiences, and I just asked them uh, to respond to some of the principles that we're gonna be discussing this morning, just to, to hear their insights, to get their experience and perspectives on it. And it proved very beneficial, and I think one of the big things for me is that it confirmed, in one sense, that women in general need to hear from the church that they are valued, needed, and appreciated. And not just for being wives, and moms, and sisters, and daughters, but for being who God has created you to be as women. It's very important. Now, one of the comments also that all the women that I talked to had in common was regarding what makes it difficult to live out your identity today. 
right? And the big thing that they identified was this, the idea of all the mixed messages that seem to come against girls and women today. It's insane the amount of confusion that surrounds this idea of femininity. What does it mean to be a woman? Uh, I, have, I did a quick just online search for some stuff and I found the website Marie Claire and they had interviewed like eight or nine different celebrity women in the world today and asked them this question. And a quote that I wanted to highlight was from uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas. And she said this, today, femininity means defining our own personal standards and rules. It means owning our own bodies and being celebrated for who we are as people. Now, on the surface, again, that overall sounds pretty good. But if you stop and think about it, this offers no real answers. This message is telling women, at the end of it, they have to do the work themselves. You have to figure it out. But also, in another sense, it puts women in this place of kind of taking on the role of God in their own life, defining your own standards and rules. That's a daunting challenge and also a dangerous one. So I think the question we also have to ask is, so what's at stake if we get this wrong? What's at stake if we get femininity wrong? Well, I would argue, honestly, it is the suffering of men and women that is gonna result. It's not just one-sided. We see confusion and chaos just, so, just overwhelming the world because we don't know how to answer this question. One of the women who um, I reached out uh, to for this message said, said it this way, just expressing her experience in life. She's a bit older now. And she looked back and said, I had to be a strong woman most of my life. I tried to do it in my own strength, which wore me out. But I can only be the woman God wants me to be by relying on his wisdom, strength, and guiding. Now she later said, I thought this was insightful. I realized that the world was lying when they said I could have it all. I could have the career, but my personal life suffered. Now, this is just one woman's story. This, this isn't universal exactly for every woman. But I think this is, if we're going to kind of use stereotypes in a helpful way right now, this sentiment, I think, is borne out in our society at large. Just, just go on your device or computer later and search online are women happier today than before? Like, I just used that. I didn't even use a specific age range. Just are women, and you'll see opinion article after opinion article re reinforced by hard data most of the time that shows you the state of femininity today is pretty bleak across the world in a lot of cases. Not every culture, but specifically our American culture. With, I think, women and girls, young girls, like teenage girls, struggling with this loss of identity, this loss of satisfaction. And in many cases, this far outpaces that of men. There is an imbalance in the effect on women. So, I think we need to ask, if the world, and when I say, when I say world, we're not just talking about because it's the globe, but this is our culture, the patterns of ways of behavior that we live in in society, if the world is offering nothing but a recipe for confusion and chaos, what's God offering? Right? What is the difference? So I think what we're gonna talk about today is that he offers an identity to men and women, but he offers an identity 
that is not one that you have to discover. It's not one that requires a new label every time you discover something new about yourself. Rather, this identity is one that is received from him when you put your trust in Jesus. When you follow him and you are adopted into his family. So, we're gonna go back to the beginning and we're gonna see what God says is true first about humanity in general and then also about how he's created us in our sexuality. So, Genesis chapter one, verses 26 through 27. We're gonna do a couple different verses today, uh, but starting in this passage, this is coming on the end of creation and it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the birds, or over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, him. Male and female, he created them. Now we see something that is eminently true in this. In that first verse, in that first part, this talks about our humanity and how humans are supreme over all creation. We have value and dignity that is not the same as anything else because we alone as human beings are created in the image of God. When that, that could be expounded on for many, many days, but simply put, it means we were made to demonstrate parts of his character and nature to the world around us so that others may see him reflected in us and return worship and glory to God. Now, this cannot be said of any other created thing, animal, plant, rock, nothing, only humanity. And the last part of that verse, that passage, establishes our sexuality, male and female, and it establishes it as a binary thing, distinct from one another. So we discussed masculinity last week. Right now, we're going right into femininity. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer that as we look at what this means now, what, if you wanna understand something and what it is, often it's helpful to best start with what it's not. So first, we're gonna look at what femininity is not, the way God has designed it. And I would say this is gonna be looking at the world's definition, our society and our culture. Um, a famous kind of feminist activist, Gloria Steinem, is uh, quoted saying this. I don't think she's the originator, but she said, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle, right? So clearly, what is implied by this is that women need men like a fish needs a bicycle, which is to say, not at all, because that would be ridiculous. So this attitude, and I'm gonna paint in broad strokes, knowing that there is some nuance to some of these things, but I think this attitude can summarize what's wrong with the modern secular idea of feminism. The idea that women have, don't need men at all. Um, and it's not in line with biblical femininity. I think feminism as a movement and an ideology today has gone far afield from what would be helpful. Um, a Christian author, Mary Cassian, in her book, The Feminist Mistake, said this about the modern movement. She said, feminism 
proposes that women find happiness and meaning through the pursuit of personal authority and autonomy and freedom. Now again, that sounds great. All those words are good things that we like. But when we put as our pinnacle, I am the author of my own authority, I establish my own autonomy and my own freedom, especially take that in line with that other quote from Priyanka Jonas earlier, this paints a picture that you've put yourself actually above Christ in your life. This attitude runs in opposition to submission ultimately to Christ as Lord. And I would caution any one of us, male or female, from holding on to an ideology other than that of submission to Jesus as Lord, other than to that than love for him and obedience to his mission in the world. That's dangerous for all of us. Whether it's a political ideology, Republican or Democrat, whether it's a women's rights activist, a men's rights activist, or you're just hyper into USC versus Clemson, like if you hold on to identity that puts you in the place of defining your own authority, and you're more about Jesus, and you're more about your own self than Jesus' glory, then that's an idol in your life. That's a sinful misalignment of authority in your life. The other thing that I would say a femininity is not today is it's, it's not this current idea of kind of a sex, like the obliteration of sex distinction or the obliteration of role distinction in life. Um, we see this in sometimes it's that attitude of whatever a man can do, a woman can do, or a woman can do better. You know, this idea of everyone should be the exact same, which we're gonna talk about later, that's, that's not femininity. It's not a woman should just be like a man and do everything because... In this real sense, if God has made us to be in his image, male and female, well, then where did that image go if all the women just act like men? What I think femininity is also not is it's not supposed to be a competition for control, right? Nowadays, sometimes because of perceived, and I think sometimes even, even now, real oppression of women in the world, there's been this balance to then like push the power back the other way and we need to elevate women above men and we need to do this and regain power and claim authority and all this and stuff. It's like, that's, that's not what it means to be a woman though. Honestly, there's some of that we actually see as a, a result of sin. And even in Genesis 3, when God is pronouncing the curse on man and woman, part of Eve's curse is you will desire your husband in a way that's not healthy. You'll desire to have the control. So what is biblical femininity? So here we go. This is what we're gonna work with today and unpack this. Biblical femininity is the attitude of a helper who nurtures strength in others and brings life into the world. Let me say that again. Biblical femininity is the attitude of a helper who nurtures strength in others and brings life to the world. Now, as I say this, this is something we believe is universally true of all women. You could be an 11-year-old girl or a 77-year-old woman. You could be married or single. You could be a mother or childless. You could be working or at home. Like Pastor Jeff said last week, when we describe, okay, who women are meant to be, this is also saying little to nothing of who men are supposed to be, right? Because yes, men also help. Yes, men also have a time to nurture. And yes, men also bring life. But 
women are especially gifted, called, and designed for this in a way that's unique to them. And femininity certainly encompasses more than this. But it seems clear in scripture that it's just not less than this, Mark. This is at the core. And I also must add that at times, I think this is clear, this may not seem easy or come naturally to all women on a certain level. This may not seem easy. But in another true sense, I don't think that matters. I think God calls us when he redeems us into his family, he calls us to live for him, he calls us to do hard things all the time. And it goes back to two questions that Pastor Jeff raised last week. The first thing we have to ask ourselves is, is God good and can we trust him? If we can answer those both as yes, then we move forward together in recognizing we are submitting to him and his design. So, first thing here, biblical woman has the attitude of a helper. Now, before we kind of get caught on the helper language, let's just show you where we get this from, right? Uh, the main passage is in Genesis as well. Genesis chapter two, verses 18 through 24. I'm gonna read this account so we can get the context. Uh, this is the, the specific creation of man and woman and seeing how that interplay happened. So we're gonna pick up in 18. God has created man first and he's given him the task to work the garden and then we come to this point. Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good, very important, that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. His words, not mine. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So dog is man's best friend, but not his helper. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And this is wonderful. Adam's response, the man's response. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is an amazing account. We can't go into all that's wrapped up into this. But we see in here, God creates the world. He sets man in the garden to work it. And the first thing that was not good was for the man to be alone, right? That's not good. And this is pre-sin. He needed a helper. More importantly, he needed one fit for him. And that's why I think we see Adam's response and finally, someone like me. And it's wonderful. But now, using this helper language, I think you could clearly raise an objection. But wait, I thought man and woman both share the image of God. We're both of supreme dignity. We're both over in creation. We have dominion. So what's this helper title? This sounds a little unequal, right? Well, um, to that, I found a great quote from author Elizabeth Elliot, woman, who says this in reference to this Genesis story in the helper language. In what sense is red equal to blue? 
They are equal only in the sense that both are colors in the spectrum. Apart from that, they're different. In what sense is hot equal to cold? They are both temperatures. But beyond that, it is almost meaningless to talk about equality. So again, the picture here is when we say, honestly, when we say we're talking about equality, we want equality between the genders. Some of that is true, but I think on a main level, oftentimes what we're looking for isn't just equality, but we're looking for sameness. Where men and women play just interchangeable roles in society or every aspect of life and they share the exact same outcomes. But in life, if, if we really pursued that course of gender sameness, I will say, where has the image of God gone? What's happened to this beautiful reflection of this diverse and complicated God? See, at best, if we live this way, at best, God's image will be all masculine or all feminine. And at worst, I think it's a perversion of both to the point where almost nothing is left to be seen of our creator in his most supreme creation. So, the role of helper is not demeaning. Uh, Eve doesn't seem to mind this role, this title, this, this, this identity of woman that's given to her by Adam. She also takes the name that Adam gives her of Eve. But when, most importantly, when we look at this word helper, how it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament especially, most of the time, it's referring to God's help of his people, Right? So this, this isn't the idea of your four-year-old toddler who's your helper making cookies and just makes a bigger mess and you're just kind of having to placate and, oh, okay, we'll clean up after you. Oh, well, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. The, the best example is using of God. Like an example is Psalm 121 where the psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This, this, this nature of helper, this identity of helper is not demeaning. Adam didn't say, oh, now I have someone who I can tell what to do. Adam said, now I have someone who supplies what I need. Now I have someone who completes me and gives me what I'm lacking. My wife found this great quote from an article years ago. Uh, a woman who was talking about this idea of helper said it this way. God is distinctly calling women to share in his work. We, as women, have a unique way to showcase part of God's character, the way God helps his people. The reason, and the reason I said also it's the attitude of a helper is just that women go through different stages of life. Again, you may be 12 years old and you're like, well, I'm not married, I'm not doing this, or you may be single your whole life and you're like, well, like, but... It's the attitude of a helper. You may not have a direct relationship specifically with a man in order to live this out, but just because you don't have the formal role doesn't mean you're allowed to, to kind of shirk who you are, deny that part of yourself. It's are you ready to supply what is needed? Are you ready to partner with others in, in seeking and living out God's mission here, specifically as it relates to, to men and partnering with them? Now let me offer, I think, another illustration for helper in this. I like the idea of, of dancing. I'm not a great dancer. I'm a little too white and lanky for dancing. But, but the idea of like specifically ballroom dancing when you see partners together, um, there's a lot I think we can learn from this example because you have the traditional roles of the leader in a dance 
and a follower in a dance. Now, traditionally speaking, the man, a man is a leader in a dance. And he's responsible for keeping time and suggesting through his lead certain figures that are to be executed by the couple in the dance. Now, the follower, traditionally the woman, through reading the signals of the leader, she has to execute the suggested figures. But now, she's not just this passive, she can't just be limp and like, just move me where you want me, I'm only doing what you want. Like, she has to be technically skilled and competent in being able to execute all the things that they're gonna do together. So the connection between the leader and the follower is extremely important to balance the technical and creative execution of the dance. And when it's done well, everyone recognizes you don't see someone dragging a woman across the dance floor. You see this seamless synchronicity of beauty and just creativity, and it just flows. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. That's the picture. The concept is also cool when you look at the idea of like timing. The leader's responsible for staying in beat with the music and keeping up with the rhythm. In life, I would say this is somewhere similar to the roles of men. Like, men, you're responsible for, are you keeping in beat with God's rhythms of life? Are you listening to what he's supposed to be instructing you so that you're living in his pattern? In dancing, there's also this idea of floor craft, which is like knowing the moves and you, you have to know the figures and work on them together. So like in life, are you, are you actually, again, specifically you could say in marriage, but like are you working together to, do you know where you're going in life? I would say particularly as a leader in this sense. And as the follower, do you know the types of things that you're trying to do together so you can work together to accomplish them? Do you know how to do life well? The leader might have some more responsibility, but the follower actually has to know the same things and work together to execute them. So that's helper. We gotta move on, otherwise we're running out of time. We could spend a lot more time. Um, the biblical woman also nurtures strength in others. Now, I don't want this to be thought of as only applying to like raising infants and children, but rather this is the idea of like a people-oriented influence that I think women have that's quite unique. Looking up the definition of what it means to nurture is simply the idea of are you like supplying with nourishment, educate, or to further the development of something. Again, to avoid, to avoid just the child-rearing um, illustration for a moment so it doesn't sound like women have to be barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. Um, though my wife actually enjoys most of those things on her own. The pregnancy, sometimes not so much, but she loves the kitchen. Um, I like to think of gardening as an illustration, right? Think about the influence that it takes. In order for plants to grow, they have to be fertilized. They have to be sometimes supported so that they can bear the weight of the fruit they're producing. Sometimes they have to be pruned, but it has to be done with the right tools at the right time. Otherwise, you can damage the, the plant itself. And maybe if it'll heal, there might be a scar or it might actually permanently stunt this plant. So the idea of the influence that women exert, I think is in that way, that nurturing that women can do to people. And I'm not saying men never influence others to grow and change, not at all. I think in fact, often we abdicate that role too much. We, we let that and just say, I'm not gonna be a part of that. As, as, and that's, that's a terrible thing. But what I am saying is the influence that women wield specifically in relation to men comes naturally to them as part of their identity. And it can either be a tool for building up 
or it can be a weapon to tear down or lead astray. I think we see this um, in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter nine, I'm not gonna go to Proverbs 31 today, ladies. Don't worry, you're safe. But Proverbs chapter nine, the writer um, personifies two concepts as women, wisdom and folly. Now, the writer could have gone to say, oh, women are all bad, so I'm gonna paint folly as a woman and wisdom as a man, but doesn't do that. The writer could also say, wisdom, women are all great and men suck, so you know, men are the folly idiot and they're to be pitied and women are wisdom. No, women are both. And I think there's a reason for that because like women, wisdom can be enriching, right? Helpful, life-giving. Or like folly, sometimes women can be subtle in a bad way, right? Manipulative and often could be dangerous. Genesis 3, 6 is also a great example of the power that women have. This is when Eve takes the fruit, she's deceived by the serpent, but then she gives it to her husband. She influences him to do the thing he actually heard from God not to do. That's power that women have. That's not nothing, right? It's, she used it in a terrible way, but it's powerful. There's a quote that I think often we hear of the, you know, um, behind every powerful man, there is a woman. And sometimes that's meant to be like men like take the credit of women and that kind of stuff. But, but there's a truth behind that statement that I think can't be overlooked is that men can do more when they have support, specifically from a good woman. Like that's a good thing. I think a better saying that captures this power and this influence that I found was nothing motivates a man quite like a woman. And I will say, amen to that. And this doesn't have to be like sexual or romantic motivation. This is just, this is true of who you are, who God's created you to be. So ladies, in a real sense, if you want men to stop acting just like boys who can shave and start acting like men, then motivate us to be that. Expect that from men around you. Don't encourage men's bad behavior and certainly don't copy it. Don't do it. Expect them to treat you like a man should. Single ladies, young ladies, if you're trying to go into the dating world, don't tolerate that kind of bad behavior from men. Expect and build them up to be better men. But also, don't turn around and treat them in a way that's disrespectful and, and attacks their masculinity. Because I think your ability as women to influence mean you can either build up or you can tear down. With a word or a look often, I think a woman can encourage a man in his masculinity or completely tear him down. And when men feel attacked in their masculinity, usually they respond in one of two ways. They either respond in aggression and overcompensation, which is terrible, or they respond in submissiveness and apathy, which is equally damaging. Neither of which are helpful to women or to the world. Okay, lastly, moving along, um, a biblical woman, I think, brings life. Like I said, this is, this is not exclusively about bearing children. But part of what makes women unique that we can't deny is the created capacity for actually growing human life within your body and then supplying that new life with what it needs in its early years. That's amazing. But we also have to admit that that's not a reality for all women. Right Now, just because it is part of your design to be a life giver, 
there's still more than one way for you to participate in fulfilling the creation mandate of filling the world with a bunch of image bearers of God. My wife also found, I gotta credit her, she was great at this. She found this other great article years ago that spoke to this issue from a woman. It says, it is not an absolute that we will marry or that we will have children. But what is an absolute for a woman is that we are called to bear and raise spiritual children within the covenant marriage of Christ and the church. See, I think God has designed women to be motherly, both in physical childbearing but and spiritual childbearing, spiritual mothering for godly women. This is fulfilling the creation mandate of filling the world. This is helping fulfill the great commission of making disciples. The church needs those elements. We need the feminine elements that are more found of, like the encouragement, the compassion, the tenderness. Why? Because these are actually elements of God's character, which are, I think, most clearly expressed by women. Not that men can't do it, but this is, I think, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that I think we see in career fields where we need high levels of care, compassion, tenderness. Like, we see women there in areas of, like, nursing, social work, early childhood education. Think of the effect of, like, when you were a kid, you fell down and you got hurt. Who did you want to comfort you? Mom. The stereotype of when there's a soldier wounded on the battlefield crying out in pain, who does he cry for? Mama. When someone who's undergone severe trauma and they need that presence, sometimes just to enter the room and make them feel human again, often that's women who can bring that. Jesus himself expresses this attitude of God's character. In Matthew's gospel, he looks at Jerusalem when he's going there towards the end of his life and he says, how I longed to gather your children like a hen gathers chicks under her wings. That is a tender, compassionate side of God that we would miss if it was left to just men. So what do we take away from this discussion as we wrap up? A couple things, speaking to men and women here, thinking about both of these weeks in total. It takes men and women to make men, right? If we want men to be men, men need to show other men what to do and women give men the strength and motivation to do it. So when we want to produce men, it's going to take men and women to do it. When we look at women on this side, it takes men and women to make women. Only women can show other women what to do. I can't show my two-year-old daughter how to be a woman. But men give women the freedom and encouragement to do it. That's our role. So women, I think one of the things you need to do this morning is you need to trust God's design for who you are and be content in your identity in Christ. So whatever stage of life you're in, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a senior, start taking the attitude of a helper. Find ways to nurture strength and influence in others. Be a bringer of life to the world around you. Seek examples of older godly women who can show you and lead you in this way. And older women, if you have any maturity in you, Find a younger woman and lead her. This is described in the New Testament. Men, I also have to say this. When I asked Sandhills women, what can we do to help? The almost universal response was this. Be godly men. That was what we can do. Sacrificially lead, provide, protect. You don't demand or expect a woman to follow you, but be a man worth following. 
So closing thought here, we as godly men and women, we need to take seriously the purpose that God created us for as image bearers of God. It was his perfect design to let his image be reflected in both masculinity and femininity. And when we as men and women, when we either fall short or when we pervert that image, we dishonor our creator, we harm ourselves, and I think we doom the world around us and future generations to chaos, meaninglessness, and despair. So both men and women, we need to step up and fulfill our roles in the areas of life that God has placed us.